0: Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off.
1: But basically what I found and, and just looking at the Certified Financial Planner Board of Curriculum, if you can keep your fixed expenses at or below 60% of your net income, you're going to be in great shape.
0: Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. You know, as athletes, we do a lot of stuff. Um, and the higher up we go, in terms of, you know, playing high school, college, and, and you know, hopefully professionally, is a lot of us, we get, um, our identity gets wrapped up into our sport. And when we're done, now we have to deal with the ramifications of our character being hidden because of our ability to play our sport. A lot of us, we don't do our research on who we are. And I'm raising my hand now because I didn't. I didn't have a roadmap to help me transition out of sport. And so now, um, I'm very passionate about working with athletes and helping them understand that they're more than athletes. And I've created created a, uh, a webinar that can help athletes transition. And it's called... The Four Keys to Help Elite Level Athletes Transition. And you can find them on my website, alexmobincoaching.com. I'm very passionate about, you know, helping these athletes because they are, as athletes, you have a lot of things inside of you. And it's just, it's more important than how fast you run or how high you jump. We're, We're leaders, but a lot of us, we just don't know how to lead. Or what exactly is leadership? And there's something that a lot of different people want to get that's inside of you. And so I want to help bring that out. So go to my website, get the webinar, leave information, and um, hopefully, um, you know, we we can develop a plan for you that can help you transition. All right, let's go. My guest this week is mark meek so mark is a financial planner um, but he's a little bit different he's not he's not um he's not boring <laughs> he, he really breaks things down and helps people get to the root of what they want to achieve um, when it comes to finances and so with this month being financial literacy month i want to bring on a guest i can kind of shine a light on finances, and he gives some helpful tools and tips that can help anybody, whether young or old, get to where they want to be financially. Now, just with anything, just like anything else, it takes discipline. And Mark is a formal, a, for, a former collegiate athlete. He played football. Um at Western Oregon and then at atlamette. So he brings a lot of that mentality when it comes to discipline and being a former athlete and he and he shares a cool story of how he got into his industry because that's what I'm all about. That's what i'm I'm in it for is to hear like how did you how did people get to where they are? And he has a cool story. So anyway, I'm very excited for this conversation on a bland subject, but we spice it up. So here we go. All right. Well, cool. Well, um, thank you, all my listeners, um, for tuning in for another episode of The Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. Um, it's, I, I've been blown away by it. I have my team look at, you know, where people listen in from and of course the majority is here in the states but it's crazy to be able to look and see there's people in Tanzania that listen <laughs> that listen to myself and my guests there's people in Australia in the UK um it's 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 pretty it's pretty cool it's very humbling to to have people in places I ain't never been I don't even know how to spell but they're listening and they're getting some quality information from myself and my guests, so um, please continue to, to to keep listening, give a rating, follow it, share it, leave a message on there. You can—that's the cool thing about with with social media and you know with podcasts. You can leave, uh, you know, your thoughts on there. And maybe it can help somebody else out. So, um, thank you very much for the the folks that that tune in each and every week. So enough of that, all that stuff. I got a good friend of mine who's in the financial space, and since it's April, and here in the states, it's Financial Literacy Month. I thought that I would get somebody that a knows what the hell they're talking about, b has a pretty cool story, and c like myself, is devilishly handsome. So my main man, Mark Meek, welcome to The Shark Effect.
1: Thanks, Alex. It's great to be here. It's been uh, awesome to watch the show and uh, honored to be on as a guest.
0: Thank you very much, man. So Mark, how did you get started? In the, first of all, like, what exactly do you do? And then how did you get started?
1: Absolutely. Well, So I guess my title, financial advisor um, and I'm affiliated, my broker dealer is with Northwestern Mutual. Um, So kind of the way it works, it's uh, a lot of people are familiar with real estate, right? Where they've got their own team within a broker. So uh, essentially I'm the, you know, the founder of Meek Financial Group within the umbrella of Northwestern Mutual. So we've got a team of three. Uh, We're coming up on about nine years full time in the business. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the title. And uh, essentially what we do on a daily basis is we help our clients achieve their financial goals. And, uh, you know, we're a little bit unique in the space that we work. Uh, we're what's known as a fiduciary advisor.
0: Yeah, man, you better, come on, break that down, fiduciary, come on, help me out.
1: Yeah, so instead of just kind of fo- focusing on one space of financial planning, right, whether it's investment management, wealth management, estate planning, insurance planning, you know, we work with our, our clients on a comprehensive basis and uh, really have an area of expertise in all of those different areas. Uh, so the experience is a little bit unique, right? We're, we're less transactional, and you know, we're less kind of like the old school stockbrokers where you know, people call in and say, hey, I've got some money, I wanna grow it, where should we put it? Um, you know, we really operate from the basis of a plan. So uh, we can dig into that a little bit, but kind of high level, you know, depending on what our clients are trying to achieve, whether it's retirement planning, saving for a house, purchasing or selling a business, you know, putting their kids through college, whatever it might look. uh, We help our clients in a strategic way, kind of bridge the gap of what they're doing now and how they can get there more efficiently. Love that. That's
0: great. That's great. How did you get started? Like you know, was it something like a passion of yours? I know, I know, you play football, I want to talk about that a little bit later. But um, how did how did you get? How did you get started? Did family member was in that industry? And then you just hey, you know, because <laughs> I thought I was gonna be in the army like my dad. But, you know, God had different plans for me. But I'm, I'm interested to hear your your, your story.
1: Amen. Yeah, honestly, it's not as glamorous as a lot of people would think. Uh, to be brutally honest, I'm kind of here by accident. And I'll, I'll dig into that a little bit. But basically, like you said, my uh my main passion when I was going through school, college specifically, was playing football, you know, and you know I was playing at the Division two and the Division three level. So, you know, deep down, I knew I was never going to necessarily go play at the next level. Uh, but, you know, when I was there, that was kind of the life. Right. That was what we were focused on. That's what we were working towards. Wanted to to win that Northwest conference championship play in the playoffs. And um, so what ended up happening because I started my collegiate career uh, playing football at Western Oregon, uh, I I had a red shirt year. I ended up after a couple of years transferring to Willamette uh, over in Salem, Willamette university, and uh, they don't have red shirts there. So I was able to actually get an extra year of eligibility. And that was honestly probably like the 60% reason that I went and got my MBA at the time. And, uh, you know, I I graduated in 2011 with my undergrad in economics, but I still had that extra year of eligibility. And and for me, it was just like, hey, this is what I love to do. This is what I know. I don't necessarily know what I want to do when I grow up. And so I kind of kicked the can down the road a little bit. I was very interested in, in business and finance overall. Uh, But I just didn't necessarily know professionally what I wanted to do. So kind of bought some time, right, really with some financial support from my parents. uh, I was able to get through business school, so I got my MBA. But uh, where that comes back to how I got in the business, I was really, really kind of procrastinating. And between the first year of business school and the second year business school of summer, we were required to get an internship. It was part of our curriculum in order to graduate. So here I am, right? It's it's uh, off-season, you know, we had not the best football season, a little bit bummed out, but excited for one more year. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, I, I kind of get back into study mode and, and my cohort's like, hey, Mark, like, what are you gonna do for your internship? And I was like, well, I'm not sure, you know, I've, I've really just been kind of kicking that can down the road, and they said, hey, well, we got we to gotta let our professors know by next Friday what, what we have lined up. So for me, I kind of went right into panic mode. And really what I did at the drop of a hat, I knew there was a career fair up in Portland State University. So me and one other person that was playing football with that also procrastinated on his internship kind of drove up here, walked around. It was kind of underwhelming. But randomly, I turned a corner, i I'll never forget this moment, and I see a guy there, his name's Matt Benjamin, he's actually the reason I'm here. Uh, he runs an office of Northwestern Mutual in Salem. And uh, I just kind of walked up and just had a quick conversation with him. Within 10 seconds, he, you know, we found out that he was a Willamette uh, football alum, he was really closely working with the school. And, uh, you know, about five minutes into the conversation, we then started talking about, you know, the financial services industry and specifically the internship uh, that Northwestern Mutual provided. And it just it just clicked. Right. If, you know, the, the internship is you're, you're working with your own clients. Right. You're you're there to serve people uh, financially that you kind of start from scratch and uh, your schedule is flexible. Right. So it worked really well in regard to the off-season training to get ready for football. And, uh, you know, essentially, I I didn't have many options. I lined up an interview with him. And within that next five days, uh, the more and more I got in-depth as to the industry, Northwestern Mutual as a company, you know, kind of the the internship was a top 10 nationally rated internship. And so I kind of accidentally walked into a really good situation. And over the summer, as I really started to focus on it, and uh, you know, become more passionate slowly as I was learning. You know, I quickly realized as we started heading back into the school and back into the season, I was like, man, uh, you know, I I never thought that that is something I'd want to do. But I a somehow was pretty good at it out of the gate, and B, you know, it it was one of those things that kept me really engaged. And there's mm-hmm. always so much more to learn. And uh, you know, throughout that next period of school. Uh, I was able to kind of work part-time and just slowly built the passion and the expertise and kind of the rest is history.
0: Oh man, that's, that's cool. So one of the things that, you know, cause I try to, I look at principles and whatnot. And one of the biggest things that we kind of miss out on is when, you know, we, we go outside of our comfort zone and it sounded like, man, you were forced into that because, you know, You had to get an internship and you only had a week to do it. So that pushed you into an uncomfortable situation, but you had to be creative. You had to find out, you had to do research about like a job fair that's up in Portland, Portland state. And so to be able to do that, another thing I hear is the power of connection of relationships and finding a commonality. You happen to, you know, bump into a gentleman who went to the same school as you. And, you know, I'm assuming, you know, he was older, but same school. And then also he played a sport and it happened to be the same sport as you. So instantly, like there's a connection, there's a connection, but it starts with opening up your mouth. I'm looking at myself when I was, you know, 21, 22, like I wasn't that guy. I didn't talk to anybody. I just everything about me was all about football. And man, there was, there's definitely opportunities that you first you gotta you gotta step outside your your comfort zone. And two, you have to communicate, you gotta talk to people. And number three, you gotta find those commonalities. And then, you know, whether something comes f- out from it, that's great. If it doesn't, it's still great. But the ability to be able to communicate is powerful. And I think um, most athletes, you know, yeah, I mean, I got athletes in the house, I'm a former athlete, I'm still an athlete. But, you know, we we rely so much on, on our ability on what we do in our sport, instead of like, man, getting to know who you are, and then sharing it, having a vision of where your life, you know, where you want to go.
1: Absolutely. And you make a good point. I mean, who knows if he was working at Intel, or doing something else. I mean, I, that you're right, that relationship, the kind of commonality, the, the, you know, just the instant click uh, who knows if it, I might've been working somewhere else and been in a completely different industry. You're a hundred percent on point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, t- okay. So talk to me about this in the finance world, like what are, what are mostly like the fears that, that people have, like whether your clients or your potential clients, when they, when you sit down with them Because money is a is is a topic that um, it's very, it can get scary, and especially you know I'm I'm picturing myself as a as a young person who has some money, and it's like I don't I didn't really have a great relationship with money, like because we didn't have it, and then all of a sudden shit it's like I I hit the lottery and now I have it, and I didn't like I didn't want to look into the into my account. You know, I just, it was like pretend money because so much of it came at one time. But, um, my, you know, my fear was, was, um, I had my, man, my fear was, yeah, my spending. Cause I spent like crazy, like stupid, <laughs> but I just thought that it would always be there. I gotta, I gotta think more about what my fear was, but can you tell me some of the fears that that your clients or potential clients have about uh, surrounding money?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and it always changes, right? It, it, it kind of changes with the times, it changes with current events. You know, like right now, we're experiencing the, the worst quarter from a market standpoint since the pandemic. And, uh, you know, people have been spoiled after that initial crash at the beginning of 2020 and things popping right back up of just, you know, kind of a, a smooth ride. You know, when everything else around the world's a little bit nuts, you know the market has treated us pretty well uh, since then, up until this quarter, and so that you just, especially based on some of the current events, the last twenty years. You know we've got the the pandemic. Uh, we have two thousand eight. I'm sure you remember how fun that was. You know the major financial crisis. We got the dot com bubble. You know from mm. two thousand one. You know so a lot of people can. You know that wasn't that long ago. And, and a lot of people can remember that, and even some of the younger generations can think about you know, the impact of 2008, you know, watching their parents when they were in college or in high school you know, struggle with that kind of stuff. You know, so the number one thing that I'm experiencing right now is, is just fear of loss, you know, fear of losing what people have, you know, whether it's seeing their investment accounts get depleted based on uncontrollable market conditions, uh, based on economic fear, right? You know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the stuff that gets circulated about the economy and the markets and interest rates is uh, typically fear driven. You know, it's, it's kind of like an alarm sounding and some of it's legitimate. Uh, but typically what we're finding is a lot of the positive economic indicators are never discussed. And so that's kind of what I'm finding is whether they're a young person that's like, man, I, I'm afraid I, that I'll never be able to buy a house and lose what I have, or if it's someone that's within five years of retirement, you know, that's worked their butts off their whole life, they've got all their money, you know, they're, they're really fearful that another Great Depression 2008 type of event, you know, could wipe it out. You know, just based on some of those stories and the personal experiences that they've seen along the way.
0: Mm. So, so I would say right you...
1: now that's the number one fear just because of what we're, we're looking at. But it was a little bit different in 2020.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what makes you different than most people who are in your industry?
1: That's a good question. So what I would say is that what makes us a little bit different is, you know, number one, the, the relationships and the process that we take our clients through. So really what we do that's unique, right? And by the way, this is nothing negative against my other professionals in the industry. Yeah, you know, but I feel like we all have our common unique value proposition. We are very non-transactional, right? If, if I have a client that gives me a call or I get a referral from that's like, hey, Mark, I've got half a million dollars from an inheritance. You know, I, I just am looking for someone to manage it and uh, grow it. And, you know, maybe in a couple of years, I'm going to take it out and do X, Y, Z. You know, that's, that's probably not the fit for us, right? We, we don't want to just take an account over, manage it, not really have a relationship or, you know, a referral from an estate planning attorney of, hey, you know, Mark, so-and-so, my estate planning attorney told me I needed to get two and a half million of life insurance. Like, can you write me a policy? You know, sure, maybe, but it, it's not really what we do, right? So what makes us different is that we really take the time and, and spend a lot of energy getting to know our clients on a personal level and really understand what's important to them personally, professionally, you know, financially. What are those big ticket items that they want to accomplish? What do, we, what do they want their lifestyle to look like? You know, when do they want to retire? How much money do they want to retire on, right? We lead with that kind of stuff, right? And, and to your other point, we lead with, I always ask people what keeps them up at night? You know, what are, what are the fears? How are you currently accomplishing what you're trying to accomplish. So before digging into you know, any balance sheet, any budgetary items, you know, really our first two meetings are, are just spending time to get to know people. And then kind of what our value proposition is, is we take that information and then compare it to their balance sheet, their cash flow, you know, their retirement accounts, and, and make sure that their actions are in alignment with their intentions, with their cash flow. And that's one of those things that, whether we're looking at estate planning, insurance planning, retirement planning, you know, everyone's situation is completely unique. So that's kind of that secondary piece, besides just a lot more detail of accomplishment, we also have a pretty thorough review process. Because you and I know, right, alignment, assignment, adjustment, we could build out the most beautiful plan for someone They could follow it to the T, but a year later, things might have changed, right? Their goals might have changed. We may need to make some adjustments. And especially with the really busy professionals that we work with, it's really helpful for us to force them at least once per year to take them off that crazy treadmill of life and really force them to sit down and look at what we mapped out and make sure they're still aligning their actions with their intentions. And then we reset the process and say, all right what's the next 12 months priority out of all of these factors that we're trying to accomplish, what do we want to prioritize and what's the most efficient mechanism to implement, to make sure we get there.
0: Mm, Love that. Love that. So you look like a pretty young guy and you've been doing this for, for how long?
1: Yeah. So let me think here. So I started in February of 2012 as an intern and I ended up turning my full time contract on June thirteenth of twenty thirteen. So, so yeah, we're we're about a decade that I've been affiliated. But if we're being honest, when I've really you know just kind of built out the business, built out my my team, yeah, it's been about just shy of nine years.
0: Love that. So, I love to be able to see like where where did you start and where you at now. So, walk me through like when you first got started in this industry you know, I'm thinking of my rookie year, man, I'm excited. I'm going to make the best friends. We're going to win a lot of games. I'm going to be just, I'm going to, I'm going to tear this, this league apart. Right. And it wasn't quite like that for myself, but tell me how, how much have you grown? Like, what did that first year look like? And then I want to talk, like, I'm going to ask you like, how did that, how does that look now? Like, what are the things that you've done to keep propelling yourself going forward? And what also, what relationships did you have or not have or break to get to where you're at now? So talk me through like when you first started, how did that look? Getting clients and all that, I know that's 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 part of it, you know, um, yeah, yeah, how did that look?
1: So, so basically the way that we launch our advisors in the firm is very similar again to kind of that real estate model right we have all the tools the licensing the infrastructure here to support but really that's that's where a lot of people get lost in the industry is that they don't want to have to go build out their own clientele right we are in control of who we meet with who we you know call to invite in to come do some planning with so it's really scary that first year right you you kind of walk in and you're like, hey this is a business, right? You, you don't have a base salary, right? You don't have a, a nice cushy benefits package. You know, you're going to earn and your lifestyle is going to be dictated on how hard you work and what your results are. You know, so for me, Alex, as you can imagine that was really attractive because it reminded me a lot of football, like, Hey, we got all the tools here. we got all the coaches, but you know, <laughs> you're the one that needs to step up and do what you got to do to see the field. And so my experience of having phenomenal college coaches uh, really helped me out of the gate, because what I did to have a really successful start, and uh, I've I've had you know the fastest start here in the last decade, at least that I've seen, and a lot of it was because oh, I, I didn't I didn't question, uh, you know, for right or wrong, I didn't question the experts. Right there was a, a playbook. You know, they call it the one card system of kind of the most efficient way to attract clients, but also retain them. Right. That was one big fear of mine is like, I don't want people to be perceived or to perceive me as like the sales guy. Right. They were at a barbecue.
0: Everybody loves those guys. Though We're just talking to those guys and gals. They they love that sales guy, don't they?
1: I mean, it kind of depends on what they're selling, right? If they love the Girl Scout cookie salesperson. But, okay. you know, I, I don't know if it, yeah. about you, Alex, but you, if you're grilling up some uh, chicken on the Traeger and I, I walk up to you to barbecue, I'm like, hey, man, how's your portfolio doing? Like, do, do you have good perspective on, on what, what the next <laughs> quarter? Like, that's the kind of guy I really don't want to be. I,
0: hey, I would be like, hey, man, somebody's calling me. I, I'll be right with you. And then I'll point somebody else in your direction.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of a tipping point, right? Because for me, I didn't want that fear of perception to get in the way of there there are also a lot of people that if I had the courage to reach out to and at a minimum just offer some perspective of what we do, you know, it could be a game changer for them financially for their future and for the next generation. You know, so instead of overthinking and overcomplicating it and rationalizing all the reasons why I should or shouldn't call my my network of people that I know, you know, I essentially did what we were supposed to do, right? I I made the number of phone calls out of the gate that I was supposed to. I I connected with my my centers of influence that I know trusted me and uh, asked them to get me introduced to other people that would find the work that we do interesting or relevant. And basically just started from the ground up, right? I was 22 years old. I had no idea necessarily... uh, what it was going to look like and how I was going to survive that first year. But I just took it one day at a time. And I think the, the positive reason that I was able to stick around is that I didn't necessarily, you know, discriminate on who I was meeting with. Right. A lot of people in the industry are like, hey, if, if people don't have this amount, minimum of account size or this amount of, you know, income or this type of asset, you know, they're not worth our time or we're not going to work with them. And so for me, right, 22 years old, most of my connections were in their mid-20s. Not a lot of people have a lot of money, right? They're still figuring it out. To your point, once they do get money and and have that job that's paying well, they typically don't do the responsible things with it out of the gate. They want, they got to get some of those bad habits out of their system. You know, so for me, I was really just scrappy, right? I, I was connecting with people who uh, were just graduating and, and spending a lot of free time giving information without the expectation that they would eventually, or that they would immediately become clients. But hopefully, once their situation got more sophisticated, they'd come back. Um, and, and basically, day by day, right, I was, I was meeting with you know, teachers and you know, people that I just know and respected and, and didn't really care about their incomes. And, uh, you know, different uh, professions that you wouldn't really think are great financial planning clients. I was working like, with servers, people that would wait my tables at restaurants. We'd start having conversations. So I was just I was just spreading the word when people would ask, like, hey, why are you wearing a suit? You look really young. What do you do? I would just slowly organically, you know, have conversations. And a lot of the business I was doing was really low revenue yielding that first year. Yeah, so I didn't necessarily make that great of revenue, but what I did do was I established trust with a lot of people. And it's crazy to look back nine years now, some of those people that advisors would just walk away from because of some of those you know factors of income or age, now they're knocking the ball out of the park. They're getting promotions, they're starting families, and they need to do some estate planning. They're interested in purchasing a home. They're interested in dialing in their financial future. So just over time, I kind of grew with my market, right? I I didn't necessarily start out of the gate working with really sophisticated, wealthy individuals. You know, that came over time as my confidence and candidly, the ability for my team to take care of those people kept growing.
0: Mm, Love that. So, Amos, what's the... You know, when people get into this industry because it's an eat what you kill type of industry, right? Like, What's the percentage of people who last more than three years? Is it pretty small?
1: More than three years? Yeah, the people that will survive. I don't know what the three-year mark is, but I do know the five-year mark is okay. that about 2.1% of people or 2.3% of people, I believe, actually make it. Mm, so, that. so yeah, most so people was, drop off that first year, kind of that next tranche pops in around year three. But it, yeah, okay. if you can make it to that fifth year, you uh, you've done something a little bit unique.
0: OK, I'm going to challenge you. What is one thing that has given you the the wherewithal to be able to last more than five years?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, so I would say, number one, uh, you, you just got to have faith that things are going to work out, right? Uh, I, I know that I'm not in control of this world. Uh, I, I know I had a playbook from the people mentoring me here of what I needed to do to get there. Um, so f- for me, I guess uh, the, the thing that prepared me the most for this industry, believe it or not, was being a college football player, because when I was feeling beat up, when I was feeling dejected, didn't want to pick up the phone, was getting a lot of no's, built a beautiful plan for someone that I spent hours on that they're like, eh, no, maybe not. You know, I always went back to that kind of that red shirt year of like, man, like you were not as good as you thought you were at football. You got to get, you got to start lifting more. You got to start training for speed. Like you, you know, I just remember a couple of times wanting to quit, uh, looking in the locker room and just like looking in the mirror, like, dude, what are you doing? Your buddies are out here partying, playing Xbox. Like you're here getting your ass kicked by these seniors that ended up a couple of them went to the league. And, um, you know, it just, what I needed to do was focus on kind of what I called my why, like, okay, why are you doing this? Like, you know, it can't just be about the money. It can't just be about you know the the clout of surviving in a tough industry and uh you know i think what really got me through is a those habits of being able to fight through adversity that i dealt with of the delayed gratification factor of football you know it was like hey this works right now is going to pay off next year so i Mm -hmm. kind of perpetually kept that mindset you know but also you know i had uh you know kind of adopted uh, a son at that point, who's now you know Owen, and fully that's my that's my guy you know but when I first started the business, you know my wife and I were dating, you know I, I didn't necessarily know we weren't engaged, we weren't married, but I just had this deep burning desire of like, you know what if, if this works out the way that I'm thinking and I'm going to be this kid's father and I'm 22 years old, you know I, I really need to set a good example, and also I, I have to make this work right it's, it's not just about me at this point you know it, it's not about the the income and the lifestyle now it's about building a family you know now it's about creating intergenerational wealth and stability that uh, you know a lot of generations before me haven't seen.
0: Man, you know what's so cool is I'm hearing you, and it's like it starts to become like what you do, like your personal life and your character is starting to blend with your professional life. And for me, like that's one of the things that I ask myself, you know, you already talked about it, but a mantra that I go by is assignment, alignment, and adjustment. And, you know, for people have the most joy is when they have the same character, same character that it takes for them to have success or to do things from a personal level, when you're that same person also professionally. And when you when those two things are aligned man it's that's when you start to have joy it's like the t- the people that i've that i've that I've known that I've um, had conversations with when I start to get to know them and like who they are doesn't align with their job like meaning they're a great person over here and they tell me the different examples of you know what the character that they have but then if they're doing, you know, if they're a, a, a bank robber. <laughs> I don't know any bank robbers, but if their profession is a bank robber, you say, man, what that doesn't align. And they start to become this, when, when those things are not aligned, it starts to become this internal battle they have with themselves. And, you know, that's when, like, you know, mentally, that can start to wear on you. So, you know, just hearing you say about that, you know, the things that, that you've done, you know, personally and professionally, they start to align. And I think that's what, especially in the profession when you're an entrepreneur and you, you know, you're um, relying on what you do professionally to, to make you money. And if that doesn't happen, then, you know, you don't get that that longevity in that career. Like it's it's, you know, that's important.
1: Absolutely. And, and to your point, even from a client acquisition standpoint, I learned that the hard way, right? Because I came in pretty unpolished, not super confident, but confident enough that I would better off talking to people than them just Googling different information. But one of the really critical pieces of feedback, actually, my wife, Polly, we worked together and kind of helped build this business out together, uh, which is a whole separate uh, set of challenges, but rewards. Um, she kind of knows, she's like, hey, you're not really being yourself when you're talking to some of these people, you know, right? I was like kind of stiff and like I, I was using words that I usually don't keep in my vocabulary and, you know, was trying to play off on what I thought people wanted to hear. But when I really started taking off and, and earning some of these really good relationships with people and earning the trust to manage their accounts, really a lot of the feedback I've been getting is like, yeah, it's like well, you're just really relatable you know, you're, you're just shooting really straight, you know, you're, you're, you're just kind of being yourself. Right. And, you know, for me, anyone that knows me, I like to joke around. I've, I've got a little bit of ADD and, you know, clients have, I found that kind of like that, you know, especially if we're in like a deep conversation about like estate and trust planning, like talking about when people pass away, you know, these morbid conversations that people typically avoid, but are critical, you know, for a financial plan. If you can't sprinkle in a little bit of humor, a little bit of, you know, easing the tension, right? Those conversations can get really burdensome and, and it yeah. can kind of repel people from wanting to address those issues. You know, so I think that's really what has helped build my business and, and attract more referrals in. It's like you just got to talk to Mark, like just talk to him. Like he's, he's, he's just a normal dude, you know, and it, uh, I don't necessarily want to have those bank vibes, like no offense to any bank advisors out there, but yeah, I don't want to be sitting there in the back room, just waiting for the associates to walk into my office and like, Hey, all right, talk to me. Like, here's what, you know, I just, I don't want to be that guy. Right. I want to be more yeah. informal, but, but very professional, right. Where people are feeling comfortable, but, but they know they're getting high quality work. Gotcha. Love
0: that. Yeah, man. When I, I think about like the times where I try and I, I try to be perfect in different situations or whether it was a job interview or um, I'm going to, you know, talk to, um, you know, I, I actually have a speaking engagement today, but, you know, I've been speaking for five years now. And I remember when I first started, man, I was like a robot. I want to be perfect. And uh, I was like, man, I was so stiff. And But what if I just be myself <laughs> and understand I'm not going to be perfect? And then, and then when I tell them I'm not going to be perfect, I get to own the narrative. You know, so it was like, man, that was refreshing. That was refreshing. So talk to me about this, man. Give me, give me three things. Give me three things that, man, in terms of like finances, because it's Financial Literacy Month. What are three things that I should be doing with my money? outside of saving it. Okay. I, everybody know that I should be saving it. Should I be keeping up with the Joneses? Cause that's what this former professional athletes, that's what we like to do. We like to keep up with the Joneses.
1: <laughs> no, that, that's a great point. And so to kind of lead off, I, I think it, especially being financial literacy month and the point that you hit, I think that's also why a lot of my clients like working with me is because I'm very reasonable from a from a cash flow recommendation standpoint, right? A lot of people are so calculator calculator oriented of like, hey, if you want this rate of return and want to retire at this time, we need this exact amount of cash flow going in. But like I said, I think having kids and just seeing how chaotic life is and how it changes has helped. But the core principle I talk about to every single one of my clients during our first meeting is their savings philosophy. And because if we can't line up on this, it's not going to be a good professional relationship. And so for me, oh, yeah. okay. I call it the 2060 20 principle. So if we're thinking about 2060 20, think about that more as percentages of your net income, right? Of like after taxes, after your benefit deductions, like what is actually hitting your bank account. We want to split that into percentages. And Speaking of keeping up with the Joneses, that's by far the most critical piece. And think of that as like the 60. So that's where I start with my clients because they want to talk about what should they be doing, all these cool investments. But it's all about the fundamentals. So I, I talk to them about their lifestyle and say, hey, do, do you believe you live above or below your means? You know, tell me a little bit more about that. What do, you, what do you consider a necessary expenditure versus a luxury or something that's discretionary? But basically, what I found, and, and just looking at the Certified Financial Planner Board of Curriculum, if you can keep your fixed expenses at or below 60% of your net income, you're oh, going to be true. in great shape, right? And When right. I say fixed expenses, Alex, I'm talking mortgage, groceries, utilities, you know, things that come hell or high water every month, you know that they need to get paid. Right. That's not like your golf club membership. That's not going out and drinking. That's not, you know, draft kings betting on the masters today. That's your fixed fundamental expenses. Got Got it. it. And so that's where a lot of our work starts is like, hey, you're really over leveraged right now. You are spending more money every month than you probably should. And and that's a really uncomfortable way to challenge people. But when we draw this out, they really start to understand that it's, it's critical. Because if we've got 60% of our income going towards just what needs to be done to survive, that leaves 40%, right? So that's where the next 20% is critical. And I personally believe that it's gonna be virtually impossible to be financially stable if you, if you put 20% of your income away towards a goal per month. Uh, it's, it's just gonna be virtually impossible not to be financially successful. Because if you can automate that, and that's the key about percentages, right? As your income grows, those percentages should grow with it in a scalable nature. But when I say savings, it's anything, anything at all considering a financial goal. It could be debt elimination. It could be retirement planning. It could be saving for a down payment on a primary residence or a rental property. You know, anything that you're going towards either eliminating high interest debt or building an asset. And that's the great part about that habit is let's say it's not, you know, necessarily asset driven. It's more debt driven. How great does it feel to be in that habit paying off debt? And now you're already used to expenditure of that cash flow. Let's reposition it to something that's actually going to grow now instead of pay interest. So that's really where we like to dig in of kind of the wealth building philosophy and what their goals are you know where should we position that 20% and so that's where kind of the the big you know technical conversations come in but right anyone that does math there's 20% left right we got 60 going to fixed expenses 20 is systematically going towards a financial goal and this is where people kind of get shocked that i that i say this but i firmly believe this if you're doing all those things correctly living at or below your means systematically saving 20%, you should take the remaining 20% and do whatever the hell you want with it without any kind of guilt in that spending, right? Because that's what I, what I see sometimes is that people don't give themselves permission to have fun and spend their money because they're worried that they're not systematically saving and they're worried that their lifestyle may be a little bit out of control. You know, so these percentages are really guardrails that allow you to, you know, what are we doing here? Why are we working so hard if we can't have some fun? You know, and, and it, I, being a D-lineman, right, I talk about it like a meal plan of like, hey, how, how long can you really go on that meal plan if you're not giving yourself a little bit of a cheat meal every once in a while, right? And so yes. if, if we're allowing our clients to spend their money guilt-free, however the hell they want, And they're enjoying it, then they're in in fantastic shape.
0: That's so funny you you say that because you say as a D lineman, me as you know, I don't know if it's a glamour position, but playing corner, we we would you know in the professional ranks, professional level, it was the opposite. Like sixty percent would be on (laughs) blowing it or doing whatever we want with it, not having any repercussions, and then we would okay, 20% we would save and 20%, you know, goes towards our, <laughs> our, you know, below our means, which it wasn't, but that's so, that's so interesting.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's just kind of a framework, Alex, I know, obviously every situation would be different, but I feel like it at least gives somebody some perspective and, it, and it's very attainable, right? It's not something that we want to completely alter someone's lifestyle, right? We just got to make little decisions, and make little adjustments along the way. Gotcha.
0: Mm, no, this is good. I, I, I never, I never heard that. Twenty, twenty, sixty, twenty. I, I like that. I like, when, when things are simple, it sticks with me. I don't know everybody else, but if I can, you know, the more you can boil things down and simplify, man, the more that that makes it so I can be able to do it. So that's that's great. That's great info, man.
1: That's one tip. Um, you know, another one that I find really uh, really common is that people don't necessarily fully understand and then therefore fully maximize their benefits package at their employer. So okay. that's typically where I'll start when I'm working with someone because it, before I recommend an account or a program uh, to save in with our firm, You know, I'd almost be committing malpractice if we didn't fully take advantage of some of the stuff they already had at their disposal. So you'd be surprised, Alex, a lot of people don't understand how their 401k works, what their matching provisions are. Can it be Roth or traditional? Uh, What's their vesting schedule, right? So spending 10 minutes, opening up your benefits package, emailing your HR manager to really understand that, you know, I think is critical. You because know, a lot of people leave free money on the table. You know, a lot of employers are giving, you know, 3% is a typical match. You know, that if you put 3% in your 401k, they'll match 3 And, you know, if you don't put 3 in, you're leaving free money on the table because it's basically the same as you saving 6%, you know? Yeah. And a big one, Alex, and, you know, one of the big fears, you know, right now it's more market-based as you can imagine, one of the huge fears that our clients had back in 2020 when the pandemic hit was, are they going to get sick and pass away, right? Are, are they going to not be able to work because they got COVID and lose income and, and potentially pass away? And, you know, God, if that happens, who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to take care of the kids, right? So moving, you know, from the offensive side of financial planning to the defensive side, You know, that's another huge overlooked area of, you know, do you have life insurance options through your employer? Do you understand how you can potentially add your spouse? Are there other limits to it? Can you add more besides what's just provided? Um, A huge one, Alex, is disability insurance, right? That's Mm -hmm. something that uh, a lot of people overlook. uh, But, you know, if you can't work for nine or ten months, that's gonna be really, really economically challenging. And a lot of employers have a benefits package in place that provides at least you know, a partial disability benefit. You know, it's typically about 60% of your income. You know, if you're not able to work, they'll cover that. But that comes okay. in as taxable income. There's typically still like a 50% gap. You know, so talking about even protecting your number one asset, which is you, and your human life value of being able to earn an income. You know, those are other things that people a just avoid because it's scary and uncomfortable to talk about. You know, but unfortunately, those are the most negatively impactful events that happen for people's financial plans, right? It's it's not the market dropping 20% or, you know, losing out on a vest of your RSU. It's it's more like, man, dad got into a car accident and he's he's out for a couple months or you know, uncle got cancer and uh you know he's not gonna be able to work and he passes away and where you know where are we gonna get our how's our food gonna get put on the table right so even some of those fundamentals that is a critical piece of you know do you understand your benefits package offensively and defensively and if not you know connect with someone whether it's internal or an advisor to to help you navigate how to maximize those those benefits
0: Mm, that's great man i've yeah, that's great information. You know, the first con one of those first conversations should be with your HR if you're in that in the corporate world. That's great. Mark, how can man? Thank you so much for being a guest on the on the shark effect, man. It's um, you. You know, you drop some some jewels for myself and for uh, my listeners. How can more people um, follow you? Are you on social media? You got an email? You got um website?
1: Yeah, so I've got a I got a website and I've got a, a pretty weak social media following. I, I that's one of those things we're working on. We got to we got to get that up. Um, but yeah, my website, you know, is uh, it, it's not markmeek.com, it's wwwmark meekcom because my father has the same name as me and he was there first. So his business website is markmeek.com. So you got to put that dash in um, but yeah, right there. And, uh, and, you know, there's everyone could look up Meek Financial Group on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, you know, we typically drop some content every week about just some fundamentals of all of this stuff we talked about, you know, different things to consider during different months of the year. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, the easiest way to get in touch with us is, uh, the, the phone number that we have on the website. I've got my cell phone kind of out there available. So we get a lot of random texts and, you know, I like to keep it informal and just, you know, just like every other relationship, just want to make it really easy to get a hold of us without, you know, any of those gatekeepers kinda making it challenging.
0: Love that. No, that's great. And I'll have all this information in the show notes. Um, man, Mark, thank you very much, man. This has been um very informative. Love for you, you know, sharing your your story and not just, you know, all professional, but love to hear like how you got started. And, you know, what type of character that you need to have, not to just get started, but how to sustain and have success. So then that's what this podcast is all about. So thank you, Mark. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Shark Effect podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at TheSharkEffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for High Achievement. You can get it on Amazon and the uh, paper paperback version, or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking to transition, whether you were an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever. If you're looking to transition into something different, this book can help you. I break it down. And I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there. That breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence, and you gotta understand these ten influencers that can help you with decision making, that can help you with influencing others, and how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment alignment and adjustment, um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter, developing your own procedures, creating relationship roadmaps, using adversity to your advantage, right? Because we all go through tough times, but how do you flip it? How do you use it to power you, okay? And then developing your own standards. So these are things that can help anybody, not just just athletes. Now, there's some stories in there, you know, that covers topics that, that resonate with athletes, but I think overall, this book can help. Um, Anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. Okay, so make sure check it out. Amazon: The Ultimate Playbook for High Achievement.